Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. G'day and welcome once again to Profitable Farmer. This is Jeremy Hutchings and I'm delighted to say that we're getting wet where we are here at Cootamundra. I've just driven through some creeks that will probably overflow in coming days on my way out to see one of our Platinum Mastermind clients here at Bathungra. I just thought I'd stop and um, introduce this next podcast to you. We've decided in this podcast to focus on a really important topic and what we're going to share with you this month is a sneak peek or allowing you to get under the bonnet of some of the training that we provide to our Platinum Mastermind clients who are on our premier business coaching program and also um, the sort of training that we extend to our take control clients as well who are going through a self-paced learning initiative with us. Um, the, the topic is on family and farming culture and what we can do as leaders of our farm businesses and in our families of creating and inspiring really strong cultures that get the best from our people, the best from our families, and see us set down the foundations to create high-performing farm business teams. It's such an important topic, um, and this will give you a really good glimpse, I think, of some of the training that our clients and our members are enjoying. So this session will go for slightly over an hour, but sit back Grab yourself a cup of tea or coffee if you can, a pen and paper, and enjoy listening to one of our monthly coaching sessions on culture, family, and business. Enjoy and speak soon. Righto. G'day, everyone. Hope that you're all very well. Looking forward to a cracking session. This is an important topic, I think, and one where we can have a lot of frustration um, and often one that's not spoken about even um, because it absolutely is an intangible, but it's an important intangible. Um, and great companies on the planet get this right and it sets them apart and then others don't give it enough attention, um, pay lip service to it, and as a result um, struggle to be a growth company and to retain great people in our businesses and teams. And so thanks for making this your priority. Um, good seeing people coming online. So Alison, Andrew, Brian, Duncan, Hannah, James, Laura, Luke, not mentioning everyone, Trish, great to see you all online so that I can see that or appreciate that you can see and hear me. Can you just say yes in the chat box? Thanks, Hannah. Perfect. You're quick off the mark. Alison Duncan, brilliant. Good to hear. Now, I've just put a question up um, in the chat box or in the question. Out of 10, how would you rate your business culture? And if you had to describe it in one word, what would that one word be? We often don't think about it in this way, but um, 
if we had to make this intangible thing tangible, how would you rate your family and business culture now for your farm business out of 10? And if you had to describe it, what would it be? Excellent, Alison. Thank you. Seven and settled. Nice to hear. Um, I wonder if settled is okay. Six, family. Thanks, Hannah. Alison, so do I. <laughs> Good on you. Yep. Six and challenging. All right. Good. And I'll let a few more come in. All right. Now, before we get into this topic, and I guess what I want to, the question that I put up this morning on Take Control was um, what does an arrow have to do with culture? Um, and I will speak to this shortly. Before we do, though, I just want to check in. And while we're typing into the chat box, good on you, Andrew. That's a really nice um, description of culture. You feel blessed and fortunate for the culture that you've got. Great comment. I'm going to turn my video off. Let my dog come into the room. Just hang on. And just to check in, guys, um, I'm just interested to ask you these questions. How many months have you been in take control? And I'm keen for you also to rate you on your progress. So I'm suggesting that you enter X months and Y out of 10. So just to bring some accountability and some reflection, I'm going to share my screen again. I'm hoping just stick with me, sharing my screen again. Okay, I'm hoping now you can see my screen. Just type in another yes, guys, if you could, just so that I get that feedback. Thank you. Perfect. All right. Four months, Alison, giving yourself a five out of ten. Really appreciate your honesty. Let's see a few others come in. How many months have you been on the program and what are you giving your performance and your progress as a rating out of 10? I completely get that we are busy people and that there is a huge amount going on for us in family and in business, but it is worthwhile just checking in. 18 months, 5 out of 10. Okay, Andrew, thank you. 12 months. What do you give yourself out of 10, John, in terms of moving through the content and getting the most of your investment in this program? Four months, four out of 10, Hannah. 23 months, five out of 10, thanks, Ross. Five out of 10, thanks, John. Two out of 10, Tracy. Okay. 12 months and six out of 10. So a bit of coaching, guys, just to help us, and this is true for me. I'm involved in a similar program at the moment. Luke, six months, five out of 10. So lots of fours, five, sixes out of 10. So... A bit of pill, guys, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. In life, I get the results I deserve. And so a mentor of mine once shared with this with me when I was whinging and complaining about how tough my life was. 
And he said, mate, pull your head in. You get the results you deserve. Nothing more, nothing less. And so the scores are just the scores. Don't Let's not self-critique on um, whether they're good or bad or whatever. What I am suggesting, James, seven months, four out of ten, is what needs to change. In order for you to make this a priority amongst others and really make the most of your investment and this opportunity, what is it that you need to do? I'm just going to give you some a few seconds on a bit of paper, so no need to type into the chat box yet, but on a bit of paper, what do you need to start doing, stop doing, in order that your score could be an 8 or 9 out of 10 in exactly one month's time? So when we come back to this, what has to change for you to really nail, focus on this, and for you to be able to make the most of your investment in this program? Collect your thoughts briefly. What is it you need to start doing more of? What do you need to stop doing so this can be a focus? And even what needs to keep happening with regard to this program so you can genuinely make the most of it? Once you've done that, I'm keen for you just to put one or two key insights up into the chat box. But what's important is that you get it on paper. Thanks, Andrew. I get it. I've got twins and, yeah, I get it totally. Okay. Well, the two or three things, and there are only ever two or three things that you need to start doing and stop doing in order to make positive change. And so once you've captured your thoughts, Let's see some come up in the chat box, if that's okay. John, farm ownership, who owns what? Interesting. So, John, just to clarify, do you mean who owns what roles in the business um, in terms of managing decisions and um, getting stuff done so that you've got time leverage? Or is it something other than that? I'm keen for you to clarify what you mean. What I find interesting around this topic, guys, is that none of us have any more time than anyone else. So all the elite athletes, the elite business owners, they don't have any more time in their diaries than we do. The only thing we can control is our priorities. We can't control time. That's going to keep on ticking over. But what we can change are our priorities. I've just made it a priority to do 60 minutes of exercise every day for the next 90 days with Sundays off. Now, there's plenty of reasons why I might not do that, but that's now a priority over other things. And I've got to actually force that in sometimes to make it happen. And so with regard to this investment, one thing I do encourage you to do, and in the context that no one has any more time than anyone else, and with the fact that I get the results I deserve, is to find three hours in your diary 
ideally five, and make this non-negotiable. If you're still moving through the online learning, and I think most of you will be, it might be I used to do all my learning between four and seven o'clock in the morning on a Thursday. That was just the time to get it done with four young kids and a busy career and a farm to run. Four till seven in the morning was the best time for me. So you've got to go the extra mile sometimes to break the back on these sorts of priorities. What would be better is that you're locking out half a day or three hours on a Wednesday afternoon, telling your family and telling your team that you're going to put your own development first over other priorities and that you do what you need to do to quarantine that and make it happen. I've got clients that pack up and go into the local library with some headphones and get away from the the farm business interruptions so that they can study. If you had an exam on this content in two months' time and passing was a do-or-die kind of gig, you would make it a priority. And the last thing I wanted to say on this, if I could, is that a business will never outgrow its owner and you're it. So investing in your own development and growing as a leader and a business owner through this program is the thing that's going to really see your business flourish. And so not doing that week on week is potentially keeping you from really expanding the success of your business long-term. So I'm just going to look at the notes that we have here. I need to start making an allocated time to do this, but I'd find this hard with an unpredictable newborn of being a farmer mum. I completely get it. Well, I don't get it, Tracy. I'm not a farmer mum, but I completely understand that stage of life. I think we need to get the people around us to help us make this a priority. You need to name it that you need three to five hours a week to do this course, and that means that you need a babysitter um, and some family support to make this happen. Then that is making this a priority. Trying to fit it in um, between feedings um, and after hours at 10 o'clock at night when you finally get a few minutes to yourself, that's not making it a priority. Treat this like an MBA and do what you need to do to get it resourced such that you can. Thanks, Tracy. I appreciate that. Um, Ensure I commit to my study night and not make any excuses. Absolutely, Duncan. And so just on that and being a business coach, it would be remiss of you, me, not to ask you this question, Duncan. Duncan, is what is the consequence? If your study night is Tuesday night and you arrived to this morning being Wednesday morning and you hadn't done it, what's the consequence? It's really hard to hold ourselves accountable to completing on these sorts of things unless there is a consequence that often someone else imposes on you. Most of us don't speed because the police are there holding us accountable and incurring a fine if we get caught. So what is that for you around this program? I've had clients say, if I haven't done this by close the business Tuesday, send me a bill for 500 bucks, Hutch, in addition to your fees and donate that money to charity on my behalf. 
or give it to the opposition Labor, Labor government um, party because I'd really hate to see the money go that way. We've got to create consequences and that can help us get it done. Alison, start making long-term goals, stop procrastinating. Yeah, game on, guys. We need to bring some real urgency to this. If you had to get this done in the next two months before harvest, you would. So why not set that deadline and make this an absolute priority? Set goals so I can move on to the next module. Absolutely, Duncan. So, yeah, again, let's make your study night non-negotiable. Maybe create an environment where you can be away from distractions. Go to the library or book a hotel room, whatever you've got to do, so that it can be a priority and maybe bring a consequence. But set some deadlines. And if you want to send me an email um, or put up on Facebook when you're going to have stuff done by, I am willing to hold you accountable. Maybe we need to start using the Facebook group with you guys setting some goals at the end of this session as to what you're going to achieve in the month and I can have it that my team brings some accountability. It's absolutely um, every truth that there is absolutely no one holding us accountable as business owners other than our significant other and potentially our bank once a year. And so accountability is a key part to what we offer at farm owners. If you want accountability, give us um, your goals in the Facebook group and we'll um, help you get this done. James, have a better system. Get a coach. 100% James. Having a coach has changed my life. It's why I'm so dedicated to this thing called Business Coaching and Farm Owners Academy. Absolutely. Um, we'd love to chat to you if um, the Platinum Mastermind, James, is the sort of support that you're looking for. Absolutely. Um, So, John, the ownership of the farm has not been settled um, as to realise full potential of the farm as to why improve someone else's asset. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. I reckon that that succession piece could be a separate issue to your completion of this course. It's really easy to throw a lot of issues into a pot and call it succession. But in reality, I would suggest, John, that an investment in yourself and upskilling as a business owner and leader is important to do irrespective of where farm ownership transition is up to. Don't let farm ownership issues keep you from growing and developing as an individual. I hope you don't mind me suggesting that. Awesome. Well done, guys. Really impressive feedback. I'm going to ask you to go into Facebook even now while we're talking or straight after this and let me know what it is that you need. Give me more detail as to what it is you need to do to make the most of this program. And secondly, how it is, what you're going to achieve in this next month and how I can hold you accountable through the Facebook group. I'll mention that again at the end. Thanks, Travis. And thanks, Maria. I'll check your comments. Let's get cracking, guys, into this thing called culture. There have been some questions coming into the Facebook group late, one around bookkeeping, and I might cover that if we've got time. 
um, and one around mission and vision and recreating that from Mark that I will bring into this conversation as we go. But I really do want to encourage you to ask really well thought out questions of me through the Facebook group early so that I can prepare the themes for these sessions to answer the critical questions that you have. I'm just asking that you ask them well, be accurate and ask them early so I can prepare. Getting them last night and this morning isn't early enough. I need a week or so so that I can tweak the content of these discussions to support you. Let's get into it. So my first question to you is what is culture? When you think about your business or a business that you, a restaurant that you like or a company that you visit frequently and you think about their culture, my question to you is what is it? How would you define what culture is? Keen to see a chat comment from you each if you could all have a go at answering this. If you have to define culture, what is it? Keen to see your responses come into the chat, guys, if we can. Honesty and enthusiasm, absolutely. Thanks, Andrew. How team members interact and the values held as a group. Great, Alison, absolutely. The environment and people's attitudes, absolutely, Laura, thank you. Behaviour and attitudes being played out as actions, what a cracking definition. Behaviours and attitudes being played out as actions, absolutely. Core values that are acted out, absolutely, Peter. And I'll make the comment, Peter, just on that note that you've made, is you can have the best core values and the best structures in on the planet, but if you are an absolute advocate of those and focusing on the structures that support culture frequently, um, they won't carry nearly enough weight. We'll get into that. The working environment, thank you, David and Tanya. Um, the feeling of common values, absolutely. Thanks, Hannah. Group mindset of a business, perfect. It's really interesting, all the diversity of definitions that we have. The way a team upholds themselves and operates. James, thank you, Tracy. The James, the same beliefs within that group that gives us drive, gives a drive. Absolutely. Thanks, James and John. Right, I the reason I put up the Kudamundra tricolours, and I don't put this up as self-promotion by any stretch, but I happened to arrive into this team for one year. It happened to be the team the year that we got um, the first premiership um, that Kuda had got in the local comp, comp since 1974. And I think about just how incredible the culture was. So Mark Ward and Locke Bass and a few of these guys just had such a wonderful, strong leadership style that really set the foundations. But I'll come back to this later. But this guy back here, his name's Nan Champagne. He was the quietest, most understated bloke in this whole team. But he was our hooker. And at the end of every phase or breakdown when the the ref blew the whistle without question for the whole season 
Zahn would be the first person to the scrum and the first person to the line out. And he would stand there with his hands on his knees, sucking in the big ones, but he was the first to every set play as the hooker. And what we didn't appreciate at the time that I had never seen before in rugby was that the whole team followed on and he set the speed and he set the intent for the whole team just by his actions. And so I'll come back to it, but it just blows me away. When I think about one of the key things that underpinned our success in that season, it was that little action that Zahn took to um, do something with consistency and discipline, a little ritual that every other member of this team was able to hang on and depend on without fail. So I'll get to the, I'll come back to that in a minute. But for me, little rituals and little practices and disciplines done consistently can be huge in setting the context for a strong culture. You guys can have a, a bright, shiny planning meeting once a year. That's not quite it. That's good, but it's not quite it. It's, it's the little things that can make a real difference. The definition that I like of culture is that it's at the essence of your company and leadership. It absolutely is. It's the thing that can set you apart. <clears throat> but my definition of what defines your culture, it's what your people say about you and your business at their barbecue. So on a Saturday or a Sunday, they're standing around with their family and friends. What it is that they say about your business as their primary employer is at the essence of your culture. And so I guess my question for you is what is it you think that they say? Do you know? Probably even more importantly, do you care? If you don't care what they say, I would argue that you are paying lip service or not the essence of the company and your leadership seriously enough. If we think our people are just there to tick a box, do a job, and we don't care how they feel or what they say, we can't have a good culture. But I wonder what it is. If I was at that barbecue, what would be the sense of your culture that I would get? And if you don't know, how can you know? How can you find out? I'm really open as we move through this to answer questions that you have in the chat box. But that's my favourite definition of culture or, or how to determine what, how good your culture is. I see it all the time and I do this all the time. I hear myself raving about a company that I've been into once. I think about Betty's Burgers up at Noosa. My kids always talk about that. We did a four-month outback trip and arrived back to Noosa having not had any sort of anything like a hamburger for four months. Our kids still rave about the service and the experience we got at Betty's Burgers. There was something about that company and that culture that our kids still rave about. So how do you create that? And the point that I do want to make, guys, is that culture is 
a function of your leadership and everything and rises and falls on falls on your leadership and that is a real privilege it's not a burden but if culture needs to change normally it needs to start at the top often we focus on the the person in the company that we believe to be undermining the culture and we blame individuals in our team for bringing the culture down but really that is to some degree below the line, normally what needs to happen is there needs to be an uplift in the quality of leadership, and I'll get to that. But I do want to make the point that this is the thing we should be famous for that sets us apart. Betty's Burgers needs to have the best burgers and the best chips and the best support and speed and all of those things. But we're commodity producers, largely. And so our product, differentiating our product is important. The thing that can make us known and famous is how well we turn up to our team, how well we lead and how good our people, our culture is. It is so important. I always set the challenge with my small business clients and farm clients to to be the people, the employers who we hear, oh, you're the guys who have those unbelievable golf days every quarter, that you bring families along. Yeah, we've heard about you. You can become famous as a company through how it is that you set up your culture and how it is that you create culture and fun and performance with your people. You'll have heard me rabbit on about this wonderful business mind called Deming, and you've probably heard me um, mention this point, is that 94% of problems in business are systems-driven and only six are people-oriented. And so what I'm wanting to propose to you is I believe that there is a system that we can put in place that supports creating a great culture, that it's not only about the people. You think about the best companies on the planet, I think of Zappos as an example in America and Apple and Google and some of these other companies, they have a system that supports how they do culture and their company grows on the other side of that. Um, Often when we think about culture, we focus on the people we have and the culture being a combination of the personalities and the attitudes of our people. I would challenge us that culture can be the outcome of the system that we have. And the example I use is the Australian Army or the US Army. They have structure, systems, rules, standards, values, codes, rituals, practices, the outcome of which is no matter who they have in their army, in their team, the culture is the culture. So if your culture at the moment is a function of your people, it's because you haven't built the system out that you need to support the culture that you want. I hope that I'm making sense. And what I want to focus in on today is what are the four or five things that we can do in terms of building out our systems architecture to create a great culture? And I'll come back to that shortly. Again, guys, fire questions at me.
Remember, too, that in business and in life, there is context and content. Culture is ultimately the content. It's the outcome, if you like, of the personalities and the structures that we put in place. But if we can set the context, and in this image it's the glass, for how the expectations we have, the standards we have, the codes and the values that we uphold, the frequency of training that we deliver, the way in which we communicate, then setting the context can be the thing that determines a strong culture long-term. I think about a three-star hotel and a six-star resort. The only difference, the six-star resort people don't work twice as hard. They're not twice as smart. They've just got a documented higher standard. The Ritz-Carlton has a documented higher standard than the three-star budget hotel at Tamora in New South Wales. So at the Tamora um, budget hotel, it might be, g'day, Cobber, how, how was your day? That might be okay at reception, but that doesn't cut it at the Ritz-Carlton. At the Ritz-Carlton, it's welcome, sir, how are you? They have a higher standard and they have a higher expectation and it is documented. Their context for their business on what will and won't be tolerated is different and their culture is different as a result. So I guess the question that I'm asking of you today is what is your system that supports your culture? Is it documented? Is it structured? Is it upheld by you and your leadership team? Is it consistent and regular and dependable, like Zahn Champagne's efforts on the rugby field? Culture is an intangible. And so how is it and what is it that you do now to bring it to life by getting it on paper and making it part of your system and structure. Feel free to type in comments if there are things that you do now consistently to underpin the culture that you have. I'd love to hear them because we can steal ideas from each other and mastermind on this and collaborate on this and um, we can all learn and grow. A real estate business I coached in the Southern Highlands. The staff arrive to work at eight. They get it, they meet at the coffee shop. There used to be six staff, now there's 30. And they go for a walk up and down the main street having their coffee. You imagine as a real estate business in a small country town how good it must look for 30 staff, all with a coffee, all in uniform, power walking and laughing and joking up and down the main street at 8 o'clock every morning without fail. How good is that as a marketing tactic as well as a cultural tactic? If I was ever buying and selling a house, I would go with those guys over the ones that don't do something like that. That's the systems correction for how they bring their culture to life one of the disciplines, one of the tactics.
So there's a few things that I believe underpin the system that supports a great culture. And you guys, have, some of you have mentioned this. The first one is having a core, a set of core values. I think that's one of the first things we can do. And so it's to sit down with the leadership team or with the whole company and explore this exercise of what is it that we stand for and what are the values that set us apart as a family and as a team. You can ask individuals to define their core values and then bring those together to define the core values of your company. Or you can ask everyone with some post-it notes in front of you, I love doing it this way, who best captures the essence of our company's culture? Which of the team is it? What is it about that person that we most admire and respect? And it's out of that question that you come up with they're honest, they're trustworthy, they're loyal, they're effective, they have an attention to detail. It's those traits that help us define our culture. There's an example just top right, which is magic, measurable, agile, genuine, innovative and caring. You can have some real fun with this, but coming up with a core set of values and what I believe too, and this is a Deming construct, is we've got to go three levels deep on core values. So measurable, agile, genuine, innovative and caring, that is level one of detail. But if we think about it, do you and I do genuine the same way? Or do you and your team members do genuine the same way? The answer is no. And so the next level down is to come up with a statement that determines how we do genuine or how we do quality or how we do excellence or innovation differently and better than anyone else. So that tagline under each of those headlines is really important. So for this company, true to what we promise our customers and our co-workers is their tagline for that core value. That's the second level deep. The third level deep is then to actually have it where the rubber hits the road. In a meeting and how this company wants me to greet someone when they come into the office, if I'm the receptionist or if I'm the managing director, it doesn't matter. If someone comes into the office and my core value is genuine, how do you want me to greet the person walking in, the client coming in, so that I give them a genuine welcome? You can systemise how we greet people as a company so that we are consistently genuine and caring. So there is a third level of accuracy we can go to in order to bring our core values to life. And it's the third level, I believe, that underpins our culture. I'll go into more detail with this as we go. So Zoe's asked a question. I'd love an example of where to start with a system if there isn't one in place. Thanks, Zoe. This is where I would start. 
what are our core values, what is unique about who we are and the family and business that we stand for and that we're striving to become. And then it's about defining the core values in order, like we have top right here, and then coming up with the tagline for how we do it and what we expect in relation to each of those. That's where I would start, and I'll show you where I would go next from there. What would be a suitable number of core values, Tracy? I love four or five. I think that's a good number. Um, I'm just going to turn my camera on just for a minute. So if you guys can see my mug for a minute. I did this exercise with a large plumbing company in Wagga and we went round and round in circles on um, integrity, trust, excellence, service and all those sorts of things. But when we boiled it down, we had a standard of service, a service standard that we wrote. But the core values that we came up with for the plumbers that work for us and the, the, the apprentices was look, listen, feel, think, talk. Now, we came up with five because John wanted people to be able to take them on their hand. And whenever there was a problem in that company, what he wanted his tradesmen or his apprentices or his receptionist to do is to look at the problem, think about the problem, feel around what would be the best outcome for our clients and for this business, think about it, talk about it, and then act. And so he came up with five core values because he had these these plumbers have five digits. And you can't forget that. And then we have all these other things that when you're pointing the finger at someone, there's three others pointing back at you. So their whole brand became around hands and using your hands to get the best outcome. But their core values were very tangible and very practical, and that's how they came up with five. But I would keep it really simple. You can, it can be less than five, but really good question. How do you create a good business culture when you work with family? I think the the take pretend it's not your family would be my question, Anna, and apply these business principles to this. I sit down with my kids, and my kids are 12, 10, and 8. Every quarter, we take our core values and we take our family rules and we burn them. We have a little sacrificial burning. And then we take the ashes inside and lie on the floor with blank paper and textures and Jane and I and the kids and we go, what do you love about this family, guys? And what, what do you hate about it that you'd love to see improved? What would you like to change so that this can be a better family for you? And the stuff our kids come up with and always have come up with is incredible. And out of it, I'm in the background while they're talking, thinking, well, let's add this value. Let's take this value away and bring this one in. And then we are fair that and we come up with some amazing core values and we come up with a code of conduct or some ground rules for our family. And they're on the fridge and they're on the wall. And this is why when our kids don't behave, instead of me pointing at my kids and making them wrong for their behaviour and telling them up this morning because they didn't, brush their teeth before we went to school, I just point to the wall and say, guys, what are our rules? Be self-responsible and self-reliant, especially in the mornings. So you can do this with any family. 
and every family. It's applying the same practices to a family dynamic. But the thing that we need to do is have family members willing to participate. And I do see it often or sometimes where, for example, the older generation don't want to participate in a conversation around this or a brother or sister thinks that this is a load of shit and it shouldn't be a priority. So somehow you've got to think through how to bring people to the table, how to get away from the farm so that you can make this a priority and to enrol them in the start of this. Once they get into it, they will enrol. But I think it's the same principles that apply for farming families as for good businesses. So start with core values. Great question. Good question, Tracy. How often do you think core values should be reviewed? I think annually is good. When I get my Farm Owner Academy team together, the start of every quarterly planning meeting is here are our values. Are these still relevant to us? What do they mean to each of you? Let's go through them and let's have these core values be at the heart of this quarterly planning meeting. Is that okay? Do these need to change right now? And normally it's no, and we have a deep dive on our core values annually. But here's the thing. If I write my core values once and I put them on a wall or put them in a cupboard and then as the boss I'm not focusing on the core values, they have no weight. They're irrelevant. It's like the, the business plan and the budget that you write that you put in the cupboard. Having frequency of interaction with these, with your team, is critical. So every weekly meeting that I have with the team, I go, right, guys, um, Kobe or Adele, pick a core value. Who nailed that for you this week? And who do we need to acknowledge in this company for that core value? And then we do an award. It sounds American, it sounds wanky, but I've got to own and I've got to bring the core values to life and constantly bring my team back to focus on this. Your annual rewards, your performance reviews, your recruitment. I had a vet practice that I worked with. We came up with a really compelling set of core values. They're a mobile equine vet business. They have a clipboard. And on it is the vision, the mission, the core values, the code of conduct. And they carry their clipboard around with them for every appointment. So they're having frequency of interaction with the core values all of the time. As a result, subconsciously, they have to buy into them and they have to deliver on them in every appointment. So it's really important that you focus on the review of them annually maybe or quarterly, but you've got to have them everywhere so that our team can have frequency of interaction with them. And importantly, we've got to uphold them. Guys, I'm going to keep going. There's a few more things I want to cover. I'm going to race for the next 15 minutes and then we'll have a few minutes of questions if that's okay. The next thing I want to emphasise is in addition to core values is having a code of conduct. What are the rules? What is the code? I mentioned that our kids have ground rules and a code of conduct as a family that we agree to quarterly. 
Be the best you you can be. Listen to our instructions first time. Be super kind to each other. Five rules. They change every quarter. But what is your code? Now, the All Blacks came up with this as a legacy to the history of people who've worn the 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 black jersey before them. And it's written at three levels deep. There is a code. There is a tagline to the code which helps bring it to life. And then there is a really clear statement for how you do that point on the code. I love down here point 13. It says to other um, rugby teams, you can steal our code and try and apply them to your company if you want or your team if you want. It won't work because these are ours for us and they've come from our history. You've got to come up with your own. But what is your code of conduct? It's a wonderful conversation to have with your team. And the way that I do this, and you might just take this down, so I've talked about how to create core values, and there is another webinar that we've done on that that um, we can make available on the Facebook group again. In terms of coming up with a code of conduct, I ask two questions of teams that I come into contact with. So if I was coming onto your farm with your farm team and your family, I would ask these two questions. So write them down. First one is what do you like most about working with this company and family? What are the good things, the great things? You might put a circle around the best things, that the two or three that people really emphasise. Then the second question is, what do you hate about this company and what will bring this company unstuck? What will ruin this company? And see it, culture and financials and everything fall to pieces. Now, most most business owners shudder at the thought of asking that question, but it's getting it on the table. It's making the intangible tangible. I'm willing to guarantee the All Blacks ask these questions. What's going to stop us from being our best? Get those on paper and then come up with a set of ground rules that guarantee that that does not happen. I hope that makes sense. What are the things that are unique and unreal about this company and team? What are the things that are going to bring us undone and undermine and stop us from being our best? What are the things that are going to break this company? And as a result of those two questions, come up with some really compelling one-liners like this or less, more simple than this that becomes your code of conduct. That sitting up beside your core values allows you and everyone in the team to hold each other accountable to a higher standard. Can you see how everyone in the All Blacks team buys into this and then everyone is holding everyone accountable to upholding them? I love in the All Blacks, most snotty-nosed Australian and European rugby teams leave the change room an absolute mess and expect someone else to clean up the change room when they leave after a game, especially the elite sporting teams because they're too good to clean up after themselves. But in the All Blacks team, it is that the most senior member of the team cleans the shed. 
So what happens, because they've introduced that standard, that ritual, that principle, that code, is that no new all-black is going to leave their rubbish and their beer bottle on the ground for the most senior member to pick up. So everyone, by default, takes their rubbish with them so that there's nothing for the most senior member of the All Blacks to do when he is the last to leave the change room. That is a systems correction through a code of conduct that underpins this amazing, this is the most impressive and successful sporting team in history globally. And that is one of their core rules. What is it for you, for your workshop, for your vehicles? What is the code? You having that code makes you unique and different and the best employer on the planet. Another couple of examples. I mentioned the Ritz-Carlton. They have a service credo because they're in the service industry instead of the code of conduct which I think is perfect. And for service-based businesses, I absolutely advocate this. So vet, the vet practice, we had a service credo instead of a code of conduct. But look at the first line. Imagine if you were a cleaner, a janitor from Mexico, arriving into America to be a cleaner at the Ritz-Carlton in San Francisco, and you arrive and you get trained and you're walking down the aisle and Russell Crowe, Hugh Jackman and um, Danny DeVito are walking down the hallway towards you. Can you imagine how intimidating and how inferior you would feel as the cleaner? But here's the thing with the Ritz-Carlton. They have trained that cleaner to be able to respond to any one of those questions so that if Danny DeVito says, hey, where's the gym? I want to do a fitness session, that cleaner is trained to say, sir, the fitness and wellness centre is down this hallway and on the left. Can I take you there, please? That's the cleaner. Now, the cleaner delivers a script like that because, of, I reckon, of this first line. The Ritz-Carlton Credo states that we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. I think that is genius because it makes that Mexican cleaner with broken English feel like, perhaps for the first time, like a lady and a gentleman. How proud are they to put on the uniform when the uniform makes them feel that way? And then it also puts them on an equal level with Hugh Jackman Russell Crowe and Danny DeVito and anyone else that might walk into that restaurant, into that hotel, they're on an equal term. Very powerful. So your service credo and your code of conduct can build up your people so they are motivated when they put your shirt on to go the extra mile for the people that you serve. I love the Ritz-Carlton Credo, and this is the thing that allows them to be a six- and seven-star resort. This is the systems correction that supports their culture and allows them to be better than that three-star hotel in Tamora. This is the thing that sets them apart. This is the thing that they're famous for. 
This is the thing that motivates their staff to get up and turn up and be at their best. My question to you is, what is this for you? The US Army and the Australian Army have a code of conduct. I've spoken about that. It's like the um, general principles of the all-black one. But if you're an 18-year-old soldier that's been trained for 18 months at Kapuka or somewhere else, and you arrive to a war zone and you get captured and you are an 18-year-old getting tortured behind enemy lines by the opposition, by the enemy, you hold on to, in the heat of that torture, these codes, this code. This is how you are to conduct yourself in the heat of battle when you are being terrorised and tortured by the opposition. If it's good enough for the US Army, having a code can be good enough for us. How do you want your people to behave when the heat is on, in the middle of shearing, in the middle of harvest? What is the code they can call on so that they keep their head and represent your company and brand well? Equally, when you bring subcontractors in, like shearers or harvest contractors or spray contractors, do you give them a code that each of their employees initial that says, hey, if you're going to be on our farm, these are our values, here is our code of conduct, we expect you to play this way while you are on our property. Having subcontractors and, and contractors come onto our farm can be an absolute clash of cultures, especially in the heat of battle when there's pressure of harvest and shearing and those things. Having a code can bring those cultures together, but they play by your rules, not you by theirs. If they're not willing to play by your values and your code, then don't have them on your farm. This can be a great way to bring contractors and subcontractors in and not have them upset your culture as a company. I'm going to keep going. These are Deming's ground rules. So when he went into Lexus and Toyota and, some of, and Ford and some of the biggest companies on the planet, these are the rules that he insisted that those companies play by. Now, most of those companies stole these rules and applied them to their cultures. And so good enough for those great companies in history and written by Deming, I'm suggesting they're good enough for us. These are an adaptation of Deming's ground rules that we have applied that now underpin our three-year Platinum Mastermind program. So our clients and our team live by and are willing to play by these rules as part of their involvement in our business masterclass. I'll just let you take a minute to read them. And you can take a screenshot or a photo of these. I can put them up on the Facebook group. You are more than welcome to steal these as part of coming up with your own ground rules or code of conduct. Operating principles, service standards, code of conduct and ground rules are all fundamentally the same thing. I'm just giving you different examples of them. In the spirit of time, I'm not going to go through them in detail. 
but just take your time to have a quick look at those. Take a photo of the screen might be most efficient and then you can look at that in your own time. So it is, in terms of time, it is, I'm just checking, 1.25 my time. We're going to go 10 or 15 minutes over. I think this is such an important topic that um, I'm really comfortable and keen to do that. Um, disappear if you need to, but hang around if you can. Awesome. You guys will have seen this principle for success in life, which is above and below the line. Below the line is blaming others, making excuses, or being in denial, sweeping problems under the carpet. Teams can't win from below the line. It's where victims play from. Above the line and high-performance cultures are have people who are responsible, willing to be held accountable, and willing to take complete ownership of tasks that are given to them, delegated to them, and key parts of the business. So you've got to create an above-the-line culture where people ask, how do I do this? How do I get this done? Not why. Solutions, not reasons. So with that in mind, Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate that. That's good feedback. So motivating. Keep going. I really do appreciate that. Sometimes when you're presenting like this, it's hard to know. So that's great. So, guys, here is above and below the line when looking at your culture. So there's a dead culture, a dying culture, a disabled culture. Dead. No longer in business due to self-inflicted collapse of their own company culture. This is Michael Henderson. Look at his website. He's a gun on this topic. Dying, struggling to compete in the market due to their company culture sabotaging their performance. Disabled, managing average performance levels but doing so is more difficult and costly than required. Then above the line, stable, succeed, excel. Stable, the culture is performing well enough to enable the business to attract and retain customers. Apologies for the spelling error. I'll make that correction. Succeed, the culture is performing at high level enough, a level high enough to enable the business to be the best in its market. Excel, the culture operates at a world-class level that delights customers and employers. You get to rate yourself on where your culture is at. Is your culture dead, dying, disabled, stable, succeeding or excelling? Type into the chat box. Where would you rate your culture right now? And remember, like above and below the line on the previous chart, flip chart, you cannot win from below the line. So something has to change. Stable. Great, Hannah. How do you make it succeed, Hannah? We've talked about values, code of conduct, service, credo. Let's explore how we can get it to excel. Disabled, Tracy, interesting. So what is the systems correction that you can put in place? What are the structures, rituals, disciplines, documentation, standards, codes that you can put in place to just move it from disabled to stable? But that needs to have a plan. 
if you leave it to chance, because culture is an intangible, you're going to keep getting what you've got. So now, cultures that are below the line, again, take a photo of this, guys, and I can put this slide up on the um, Facebook page. But you get to circle adjectives that describe what's happening for you in your culture right now. So take a photo of this. It might be that there is callous, inefficient, pessimistic lies um, and blame happening in your culture. If you can circle those, then once you've done that and identified it, you can go to work to make an improvement. But these are the traits that play out in below-the-line cultures. What of these are true for you? And how do we set a code of conduct and a set of core values, standards and practices that drive these behaviours out? And here's an above-the-line set of adjectives for cultures that are high-performing and growing and positive. Humour, synergy, fun, leading, discipline, collaboration, attention, reputation, focus. Circle these and come up with the ones that you think are defining your culture and then how can, what disciplines, rules, standards, values can you put in place so that these are upheld no matter whether it's the current team, a future team or a contracting team that you have working for you. Then, again, take a screenshot or a photo if you'd like. You get to go through and circle the ones that are true for you that help you quantify where your culture is at. Is it a resistant or is it a constructive culture? There's a threshold there on the red line where cultures go to being productive and courageous, and I love courageous. Below the line, people are too full of fear of being beaten up or ridiculed to be courageous. But when you unlock and make that shift, um, uh, Tracy, from disabled to stable, you unlock productivity and you create a culture where people are willing to be courageous and courageous to the extreme and productive to the extreme when you excel. I love this content. Right, Here's my first question. What the hell does an arrow have to do with culture? So there's three parts to a business, I believe, and this, is, um, this has come from that same guy that I mentioned before. There is strategy, there is performance, and there is culture. Now, in terms of hitting a target or achieving a vision or a set of goals or an objective, we have to have good strategy, good strategic planning, and absolutely at farm owners, we hammer home the point of really good strategic and tactical business planning. All of our Platinum Mastermind clients are on that, and as Take Control clients, you guys are really intently learning through this program about our VTO, which is our recommended strategic planning tool for farming families. You've got to have that. But imagine that without... If it was an arrow, that's the point of the arrow. Imagine the arrow without the fluffy feathers at the back. It's aimless. It won't hit the target. 
performance is budgeting, benchmarking, analysis, um, performance tracking, KPIs, all of that. And again, we're big on that. But the third part of it, that's the neck of the arrow, the back bit, the fluffy feathers, they're actually really important to securing the efficiency with which your business hits the target. It directs the whole arrow. The whole company is directed, underpinned and determined by the quality of the fluffy stuff. The feathers and the arrows at the back of the arrow. The feathers and the um, whatever they are. You know what I mean? So we've got to have a method by which we do strategy. We've got to have a method by which we do performance tracking and monitoring. We've got to have a method by which we do culture. Core values, three levels deep, code of conduct or ground rules, and then it's the fluffy stuff. It's the rituals. And so I'm just going to rattle off five or six or ten, which brings me back to Zahn Champagne and his practice of being the first to the breakdown. A little ritual, a little fluffy practice that determined the difference between us, in my opinion, winning and losing that premiership that year. Undefeated for the whole season, never been done before. And that little quiet man doing that little practice I reckon was at the basis of what set us up to succeed. We had all the strategy and performance in the world, but that was significant, I reckon. I'm just going to yell out some cultural practices, some rituals, little things that underpin and make your culture different to every neighbour that you have and every other successful farm in your region. So write these down. Two-day off-site strategic planning meetings at a beautiful location with fun activities. Go and book out a golf course 300 kilometres away, take your team, take their partners and share your vision and your plans and enrol them in those. If you do that, you're famous because no one else is doing that. Cost you fifteen hundred bucks. It'll pay. At one cost, it will pay. Quarterly, half-day planning meetings to lock in your action plan for the coming season and review the efficiency and the effectiveness of the season that you've just been through, and the way you as a team have navigated that. Monthly barbecues and monthly training sessions with your team to upskill them. Weekly meetings, daily huddles, rewards monthly or quarterly around your core values. Friday afternoon, cut out and barbecue. On our farm growing up, every Friday morning except for harvest and shearing, we would meet at 7 o'clock at the workshop and we would spend an hour at 7 o'clock on a Friday morning cleaning the workshop. The conversation, the banter, the dialogue, the talking about how we went this week and next week, unstructured dialogue, was a ritual that really set us up and brought our team together. And we went, to, went into the weekend knowing that we were set up, well-organised in the workshop for the next week. 
that did that genius. And then little things. Six pack of beer to the person who puts in the best effort each week, handed out on a Friday. A little bonus unexpected. A handwritten note to say thanks, including the families and the, the, the employed kids, the, the, the kids of the um, employees that you have in a monthly activity, be it touch footy in the paddock or a barbecue. Yeah, cut out after shearing, becoming famous because you have more fun with the shearers at your cutout than anyone else. You play games with the shearers and they love it. Not necessarily drinking 28 rums and 15 beers, but make your cutouts rewarding. Make sure people see that you care and that you appreciate. Those sorts of rituals and practices are the things that can bring your culture to life. And hitting your targets and seeing strategy implemented and getting better performance results are all an outcome of you getting those disciplines, rituals and practices into your business. Do them so well that you become famous for them. The outcome of that over time is that people want to talk. This is what gets talked about at your employees' barbecues. And all of a sudden, you have a waiting list of other people like them wanting to work for you. This is how it works. Become famous so that people want to work for you. We become famous not through strategy, not through performance, but through culture. I hope that makes sense. Yes, Tracy, I'll put that list up on the Facebook. Yep, I just rattled them off. They're just thoughts that I had, but I'm happy to do that for sure. Righto, guys, a few more minutes. Actually, I'm going to wrap it up here. I think we've probably done enough. I'm just going to do a few things to finish off. There's a few other slides that I can pick up on next time, but I think we've... We're making good progress. Core values, code of conduct, frequent communication framework, two-day planning meetings, quarterly meetings, monthly training, month monthly barbecues with the team, monthly rewards or quarterly rewards, weekly meetings, daily huddles. Acknowledgement and appreciation through regular communication. And the last one, it's rituals. Clean the workshop for an hour on Friday morning and be consistent with it and have a sponge cake arrive. Make it memorable and fun. Play paddy golf with all the families involved in your farm, kids included, once a month. Those rituals are things that sets your culture on fire and brings it to life. Take your team off-site to the local pub have them all wear uniform, have their wives wear uniform and be in the local bowling club on the last Friday of every month, dinner on you. You'll become famous in your town for that because no other farmer's doing it. They're rituals. They're so easy to do, so cost-effective. 
but you will never lose people if you do the little things, the little fluffy things well, because it just shows how much you care for the people you've got. Okay. FedEx has this brand and they actually are revered in their game for their culture of efficiency, logistics and high performance. If you look at this, in their logo hidden is the arrow because they get this. They get the culture is an intangible but it's the thing that gets them from here to delivering a result for their clients. And so they very cleverly put the arrow in the brand to signify the importance of getting a job done and having a good culture. I think that's genius. But just emphasising here that it isn't intangible, but it's at the core of who you are. So make it a priority. Lastly, Deming said this. Deming would only deal with the top person in the companies that he worked with. He sent hundreds of middle managers that came and requested help and consulting from him away, and he would always say, I work with the top, get me the top. He would not work with Ford or Toyota or Lexus or Gillette or any of these companies until he was speaking to the top dog in those companies because he believed that fish stink from the head down. Everything rises and falls on leadership. If you set core values and then don't uphold them, if you create a code of conduct and then don't uphold them, if you create a ritual which is cleaning the workshop on a Friday morning and then you miss one or you make the team do it and you're not there, or you expect rules for them and rules for you, you expect them to have their utes clean but yours is a mess, you undermine everything. I'm not saying that you need to work harder than them and be at all of those workshop meetings, but you need to set the standard and uphold the standard. Fish stink from the head down. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So with that in mind, guys, go to work on your core values, on your code of conduct, on your communications framework and on your rituals that are going to make you unique and famous, but only implement ones that you're willing to live and die by and uphold yourself. If you do that, like the All Blacks, you will create a brand and a culture that will stand the test of time be significant, unique and different on the planet and underpin a freedom farm and a successful company long term. Just on that point, one of my mentors gave me this card once. It's behind glass on my wall with a few other important flip charts, but I just look at this every day and it reminds me that for things to change, first I must change, which is that when once you get this in place, you've got to change. 
in order to lead the culture that you want. I'm going to wrap it up there, guys. Um, some really um, good feedback coming in. Thank you, Jeremy. Very challenging. Much thought to be done. Thanks, John. Nice to hear from you. Tracy, thank you. So much to think about and a change in my mindset towards my current situation from hearing this. As a final comment, guys, if you don't have the culture you want, it's really easy to go below the line and blame other members of your family and other members of your team. That's you focusing on people. But as leaders, we have to focus on systems, structure, and um, the things that are going to underpin long-term change. Forget about the people you've got just for a minute. Get the structures in place and then inspire those people to come on board with the structures, the systems, the rituals and the disciplines. Awesome. Thank you, James. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you, Andrew. Cracking feedback. Thank you, Hannah. I'm glad that was motivating. My last comment, guys, let's get into the chat box. What are the goals that you're going to achieve in and around take control over the next month? I want to see your specific goals in there and how can I hold you accountable to getting those done? I want to use the Facebook group so that you've got accountability around making the most of your investment with us. That's what coaches do. So please let me know in the Facebook group, what are you going to do this month and how can I hold you accountable? Great session. Thank you. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Don. Thank you, John. Have a great month, guys. Keep up the great work. Um, build great companies. Create great cultures. Speak soon. And so there you have it. And thank you for being part of one of our monthly coaching calls with our valued members. Um, if you feel like the sort of support that we provide can help you on issues like family culture, communication, leadership, entrepreneurship and business development, um, we'd love to speak with you. So please jump onto our website, farmownersacademy.com and even look at our landing page forward slash Platinum Mastermind and we'd love to talk with you further. For now, have a great few weeks and we look forward to our next podcast in coming weeks. Bye for now.